What's going on, y'all? Welcome back to the Cold Seat Podcast, where the seats are cold, but the takes are hot. We've got a pretty packed NBA and MLB content episode today for you guys. Outside of that, just a couple things to hit on. Uh, before we jump into some golf news to start off today, we will start with a little bit of NHL draft news. Uh, set to kick off tonight at 6 p.m. Central Time on ESPN, and it will conclude tomorrow night, uh, I believe, in the evening as well. It'll take place at the Bell Center in Montreal, Canada, in Quebec. For the first time since 1985, the host team loved the first overall pick. So kind of cool. Um, haven't really followed the NHL draft at all. Obviously, we didn't do a mock for it. Um, but I assume that the first overall pick is going to be a stud, going to be an absolute unit of a dude. So, you know, typically they are in the NHL. So uh, definitely looking forward to maybe seeing some stuff on ESPN on Twitter tonight about it. Um, maybe throw it on the TV in the background if I'm doing some kind of some some adult chores around the house or the, around the apartment or whatever. Um, but, yeah, it should be interesting to see kind of maybe – Get another a new all star kind of coming into the into the ranks today, so should be cool. Yeah, I think you know, regardless of whoever like really the top five ten guys are, could all be pan out to be really good for whatever team takes them. Um, I know each of the teams that are drafting, there's not a single team with like so much more picks than the other teams, so it should be pretty fairly balanced in terms of the order and who gets what uh, in terms of the halls they walk away with. But I think it'll be really exciting to see how these picks pan out. You know, Austin Matthews is a young guy, and he's balling out. He's best player in the league right now. So I think we could definitely have another guy like that in this year's draft, whether it's to his caliber or not. I guess wait to find out. But it's definitely exciting when new guys come to the league. Yeah, no doubt. But kind of with that, we're going to move into the PGA slash golf news. Uh, we've not had any other defectors to the Live Golf Tour since Matthew Wolf left last week. However, there's going to be a few more golfers that will be uh, defecting in the coming weeks. Uh, kind of just depends on what final offers to get in money in terms of money wise. Um, you know, like I said, it's all it's all money driven. So we'll kind of see what kind of offers they get to kind of finish it out here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, I know there were some reports that came out that guys are waiting until after the Open and then the Players Championship to kind of make their final decisions on what tour they want to be a part of and what money they could get for it. Uh, just waiting to see what money they can win from these upcoming bigger events. But I think it'll be definitely interesting to see who does leave the PGA tour. Yeah, I think, I think we'll probably see kind of a cycle um, almost like a free agency period, if you will, kind of after the open and the players, that time between the masters and the players, we'll kind of see maybe some guys, um, you know, head out in between those majors, kind of like the, Golf season there, um, I guess there's not really like a set huge break, but um, if there was going to be kind of a yearly period where a couple guys defect, maybe that would be it. Um, we'll kind of move into the golf uh, news, though. Last weekend, the John Deere Classic concluded at TPC Deere Run in Silvis, Illinois. JT Poston won the event by three strokes at 21 under, shot 62, 65, 67, and 69. So uh, kind of got progressively worse, if you will. But, you know, start, you start off your round or your, your tournament with a 62 and the opening round is pretty legit. Um, it's definitely going to serve you well. Uh, became the first winner this season to win the event after leading after 18 holes. Um, again, you start yourself off 62 on the first round. That's going to set you up pretty nicely uh, after, eight, after the first 18 holes. Um, it was going to come $1,278,000. Uh, course it's played very easy there were 14 rounds under 65 for the whole weekend so um obviously as you know a guy goes 62 guy shoots 65 um you know the winner shoots 21 under on the tournament probably an easier course um you know in, in terms of you know kind of the pga realm uh 
cool to see really good golf though. You know, 14 rounds under 65 is, is pretty rare. So you don't really see that in most events. So it's kind of cool. You get to see some really good golf take place this weekend. Yeah. I think with it, even with it being one of the lesser tournaments on easier course, uh, up there, definitely the winds can change pretty frequently. So while it is easier course, wider fairways, bigger greens, um, not as many Hills, definitely the winds I think come into play and maybe the winds were just down a little bit this week. Um, but definitely really impressive from posting there. I think he's a younger guy um, in terms of the grand scheme of guys on tour who, who could definitely come up and be, you know, a really good golfer, maybe not like a great, but definitely a guy that could produce on tour and get some garner some pretty good attention towards, you know, his tee times and how he plays each week. So definitely good for him there to get that chunk of change for him on the weekend. And, see how he plays in the open here coming up soon. But uh, this weekend we have two different events. So the players can actually choose which event they want to play in leading up to the open, which tees off a week from today, next Thursday, July 14th. One of those two events is the Genesis Scottish open, which is played at the Renaissance club in North Berwick, Scotland. Minwoo Lee won the event last year. And currently after his first round, Cameron Tringale, the 34-year-old out of Georgia Tech, is in the lead by three strokes. He shot a nine under 61 on the day. Obviously, their day one has already concluded as they're playing in Ireland about six hours ahead of us. So they're going to finish um, well ahead of the other event that is taking place this weekend, the Barbasol Championship at the Champions Course at Keen Trace Golf Club in Nicholasville, Kentucky. Uh, the first round is currently underway as they're behind, like I said, and the leader at the moment is Ricardo Guvia, who is eight under through 16. He's had no bogeys and 18 birdies or eight birdies. So really impressive opening round from him, a guy that you don't hear as much about. Um, not normally someone you're used to seeing on the leaderboards, but definitely impressive stuff from him. Uh, he went to central Florida. So from the U S uh, not his country that he is from, but definitely impressive. One of the he doesn't drive the ball. He doesn't have quite as as much distance as some of the other guys, but uh, definitely really impressive showing from him through the first round. Yeah, no doubt. Definitely love to see. Like I said, I always love to see the younger guys, whether it be golf, football, basketball, hockey. I love to see younger guys contribute and play at a high level. And I think it's really good for all sports. Really, um, I think it helps. You know, when you've got a young guy who's you know twenty three, twenty four, uh, or even a young guy in the NBA who's nineteen. 20 it comes in and plays really well i think it helps connect with the next generation of fans so really good to see they're always going to need that for golf but um kind of shift over to the mlb uh this week we've got a stats update this week as we had standings update last week and we'll start it off with the era leaders earned runs average uh era uh start from five going to one here corbin burns coming in at number five from the milwaukee brewers with a 2.2 era uh, he definitely picked it up in his last couple starts. He's had a couple of really good outings. Um, a guy, a big strikeouts guy, a reigning NL Cy Young guy, uh, won it last year. So definitely a high-end pitcher, one of the elite pitchers in the MLB. Um, definitely getting his earned run average back to where it should be. Uh, coming to number four is Justin Verlander, the Houston Astros, sitting at a 2.03 ERA. Guy who's been up here all year. Uh, you know, he's climbed. his ERA has climbed a little bit. But, again, you're sitting at a 2.03. That's pretty pretty damn good. Uh, halfway through the season. Uh, coming to number three is Sandy Alcantara of the Miami Marlins at a 1.82 ERA. It's really good. Um, he's had a really, really great year, kind of a, a breakout year for him, if you will. Had a couple good seasons uh, last year and then in 2020 when they made that playoff run in the 60-game season. Um, 
you know, he's been great this year. He's definitely been a breakout star for Miami along with him and Jazz Chisholm. So a couple of young stars there in Miami. Um, coming at number two, uh, Shane McClanahan, Tampa Bay Rays at, at a one seven four. This guy's been money all year. He's dominated in every facet of the game on the mound. Um, strike, whether it's strikeouts, ERA, uh, whatever it might be, this guy has been the man all year for them. Um, he's really helped keep him in, 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 the, in the race in the AL. So a uh, big shout out to Shane McClanahan. He's been awesome this year. And they come in at number one, my guy, Tony Gonsolin, the Dodgers at a one five four, um, had a great outing a couple of nights ago. I believe he went the deepest he's gone into a game in his, in his career. I think he was, he went six. I think he went, actually went into the seventh. So had a really good outing um, guy who's seen a couple less innings than a guy like Alcantara or McClanahan, but I can't fault the guy cause he gets pulled early. Sometimes he was a guy who they really built up throughout the year. Started his start of the season only going four and a half, five innings. Now he's pushing you know, seven to eight every every outing. So I um, really had a great year, kind of been a, another breakout star for the Dodgers when they've needed it in the pitching room. So really good to see there for Gonsolin. Yeah, five guys that have come on strong or been consistent the whole year. So, you know, as we get towards the end of the season, we're going to see the correct five guys up there uh, as the ERA leaders in the league. In terms of strikeouts, though, we're going to stay in the pitching room. Um, these five guys have always been strikeout pitchers, some younger, some older. But impressive stuff nonetheless. It's number five, Garrett Cole from the Yankees at 117. A guy that's maybe not as consistent, consistently good as other pitchers. But when he's on, he's as good as anyone. Always good for strikeouts, though. Uh, Aaron Nola at number four from the Phillies. Really solid strikeout guy again at 120. Dylan Cease from the White Sox at number three. 125 Ks. I know he pitched pretty well against the Yankees a couple weeks back against the Orioles, excuse me, a couple weeks back. So I think that 125 is legit, and he will he should stay top three, top five throughout the year. Uh, Shane McClanahan, like I said, with the ERA, 133 strikeouts, really good, and only one off the lead. Uh, he's coming on real strong for the Tampa Bay Rays, and impressive stuff to see from him. And then my Cy Young prediction, the winner last year, Corbin Burns at number one from the Milwaukee Brewers, coming on strong as of late, um, kind of a slower start to the year at compared to what most anticipated uh, 134 K's is really impressive. And I think, you know, he's kind of hitting his stride here down the home stretch of the season. So I could see him definitely continue to climb up these leaderboards. You know, Doug, I think you hit the, hit the nail on the head. A lot of these, you know, more veteran guys like Corbin Burns, um, you know, Garrett Cole's one of them as well. These guys kind of start to hit their stride. I think midway through the year, like some of these guys oftentimes take a little bit of time to get, uh, you know, back to up to speed. I think a guy like Corbin Burns definitely falls in that category. Um, definitely a guy. I mean, again, last year, Cy Young push was late in the late in the season. He had three really good starts of his last five and um, kind of beat out Walker Bueller late in the last month of the year for that Cy Young. So a guy who's, you know, known to come on strong towards the end of the year and midway through the year. So definitely something to look forward to uh, through the year for him. We're going to swap out saves this week. I wanted to switch it up and go with um, a new stat. We haven't talked about staying in the pitching room, though. And I think it's a... I mean, all most stats are newer in terms of baseball. Um, obviously, you're going to have your your regular ERA, strikeouts, batting average, home runs, RBIs. But um, I wanted to add WHIP. It's W H I P. Uh, walks, hits, innings pitched. So what they do is they take the sum of a of a pitcher's hits and their walks, um, and they divide that by their innings pitched. So it's basically how many guys did they allow on base each inning that they've pitched. Um, it's it, it's exactly what they're what they're supposed to do is keep guys off base. And so I think mean, this is a stat that. Uh, I think, you know, writers and, and fans take a lot more notice to nowadays. Um, 
you know, it's a, it's, it's a quote advanced metric. I don't know how advanced it really is, but it's a more um, nuanced stat, if you will. I'm not something you would necessarily think right off the top of your head, but definitely an important stat. So I want to throw that in, throw that in here this week. I'm going to start off at number five with Sandy Alcantara. The Miami Marlins at a .91 um, means he's allowing .91 runners per inning, which is really impressive. Um, anything below, you know, one and a half is two is really, really good. So, you know, one, one and a half is usually pretty solid. So, uh, like I said, anything above, anything below one and a half to one is really, really good. So, uh, he and he's been great all year, another breakout guy. And then number four is Corbin Burns, the Milwaukee Brewers at a .89. Established guy, reigning Cy Young in the NL, definitely going to make a push for it this year. Um, you know, not shocked to see him on this list. And point eight nine is really solid, so definitely good stuff from him there. Uh, number three is Justin Verlander, the Houston Astros. Point eight three, a guy we saw on the ERA leaderboard. Um, that's a really good number. Is point eight three, especially a guy his age. So um, again, he's kind of maintaining his spot on these leaderboards. Not a not a big strikeout guy this late in his career, but um, sticking on the leaderboard in terms of just pitching the contact, getting outs. You know, keeping runners off base, keeping runners from keep from crossing the home plate. So, um, ultimately, the job of the pitchers is to keep keep runners off base and keep runs from scoring. So, really good there. A similar guy, Tony Gonsolin with the Dodgers coming in at number two with a point eight two. Um, you know, top three guys here all separated by through by a spread of two hundredths of a runner. So, really not much of a spread here in the top three. Um, but again, Gonsolin similar to Verlander, not not a big strikeout guy, never has been, probably never will be. Got a couple of really good strikeout pitches, but just more of a pitch to contact guy. Um, keeps runners off base, keeps runners out, of, you know, from crossing the plate, which is really great. So, um, and then number one, Shane McClanahan from the Rays with a point eight one. Um, this guy is top two in every you know major statistical category for pitchers this year. He's been nails he's been any anything you want to call him that's good he's been this year for for tampa bay so um like i said 0.81 means he's allowing 0.81 runners per inning uh that he pitches which is pretty legit again the leaders 0.81 0.82 0.83 and then burns at 0.89 so not a lot of separation on the top here but kind of expected to see um these super low numbers this early in the year or it's a halfway through the year yeah, I mean, these numbers will probably go up a little bit as they just accumulate more starts, but definitely really impressive stuff. Uh, you know, 0.8 is you allow four runners every five innings, so it's pretty solid. And definitely some, you know, regardless of what team it's for, it's definitely nice to see pitchers doing well, even with, you know, all the offense that we have nowadays. We are going to shift over to the offensive side of things and we're going to talk about the five leaders in batting average at the moment. A couple di- couple changes here. Um, at number five, we have Alejandro Kirk from the Blue Jays at 317. He was not on the list the last time, so he is heating up. Uh, whether he stays on the list or not, I don't know, but 317 is really impressive. Um, in a year we've had maybe a little less offense than we usually do. Number four, Bryce Harper from the Phillies. Still won't be back for a little bit, but he's hitting. I know he was competing for another uh, MVP again, and we'll see how he comes back. Obviously, going to be out probably another month or so. Um, Rafael Devers from the Red Sox, 327. He's been up there all year. One of the guys that's been on the, this list multiple times. Um, you know, just one of the younger guys who has always produced and been a good third baseman there for them. Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals, really, really strong year in all aspects, hitting 343. Always been a hit for you know, just to get on base and stuff, not necessarily a power hitter, but he does also have power as well. 
343 is really impressive stuff that you're more kind of used to seeing from him nowadays. Number one, Luis Arias from the Minnesota Twins kind of feels like he's most their offense there, hitting 354. Uh, they're playing pretty well this year. I think top four in the AL or so. Had a good series against the Orioles. And, you know, 354, you're up by 11 thousandths of a run or a hit, I guess. But impressive. Um, I don't know if anyone finishes over 350 this year. Just it seems really hard nowadays with how the pitchers are pitching, especially this year. But I guess we'll see how it plays out here down the stretch. Yeah, like you said, nobody's probably going to hit over 350 this year. It'd be really impressive if, if a guy did. But I mean, anybody who hits over 260 in the MLB is doing really well with as, as good as pitchers are these days. Um, again, Bryce Harper's on the list at, at 318. Um, you know, his, his batting average is going to stay 318 for a long time. So, you know, he's going to be out for at least a month or two. So um, he, he'll be on this leaderboard if. You know, there's not five guys hitting better than 318, but um, yeah, like, I guess batting average one of those stats that didn't really hurt you if you miss some time. So, um, yeah, maybe see Bryce up there the rest of the season. Who knows? Um, home runs going to move there to the more a couple power stats here. Um, start from five. We've got three guys tied at number five. We've got Anthony Rizzo, the New York Yankees, Byron Buxton of the Minnesota Twins, and Pete Big Strong Guy Alonzo tied. Or the, or the New York Mets tied at 22, all three of those guys. Um, you know, Rizzo and Pete, two, uh, you know, power hitters. Pete, you know, super strong guy like him, going to hit for a lot of power. Uh, Buxton, the guy does it all. He's like the epitome of a five-tool guy. Um, Minnesota was smart to get him locked up when they did. They're getting him on a bargain now, looking at what he got um, and what he's doing, producing for them. So um, definitely a couple really, really – or a few really good power hitters there. Coming at number four, Mike Trout. The Angels at 23 homers. Uh, you know, Trout's, for the most part, been healthy this year, which is good for him. Uh, the Angels still suck. They're somehow worse than they were last year. And Otani and Trout have both had better statistical years than last year. So, I don't really know what's going on there in uh, in Anaheim. They got to figure it out, though. Number three is Jordan Alvarez of the Houston Astros at 25. I know we talked about him last week with a little bit of a scary collision on the outfield. He was all good. His teammate was all good. So, good to see there. Um, he's still mashing hitting the crap out of the ball, 25 homers so far. I think he's leading the league in slugging percentage as well, so that's pretty great for him. And number two, Kyle Schwarber of the Philadelphia Phillies, coming in at 27. Um, always been a power hitter, Schwarber has. He had a really great June, started off his July really well as well. So, um, you know, he's hitting for a lot of power right now. It's always what he's done. Never been a batting average guy. Um, always just a really, really good power hitter. So um, not, not too much of a surprise there from him. And then number one, Aaron Judge. The New York Yankees with 30 bombs. He's been there all year. Um, you know, we keep saying it. I don't know if he's going to keep the pace he's on. He pace to hit like 58, 60 homers. Don't know if it's going to happen. Um, it's just, it's rare to see. It's rare to see a guy keep that power all year. Um, you know, every hitter goes through a slump at some point in the season. Um, don't know when judges will be. Maybe he doesn't have one. Um, but you never know. Uh, some of these guys could go through a slump. Maybe he could get even hot. He'd go on another streak. So, um, you know, who knows? Yeah, I mean, 30 home runs through, you know, pretty much the halfway point was a couple of days ago. It was pretty impressive. Always, it normally is the case that the guys at the top have a worse second half than they do first half, whether that be just off-season prep, pit, pitchers getting used to their approaches, stuff like that. Um, but it normally ends up being the case. So I definitely think probably around 54 is where I had to guess for him. Uh, I think he had 29 through the halfway, so – Falling off a little bit in the second half, but not too much. 53-54 range would probably be my prediction. 
but yeah, the guys on that list, really impressive. Uh, you know, the s- seven guys that are up there are all guys that could finish the year at the top. I mean, they're only eight off the lead at most. So, you know, anyone can get hot for a week, two weeks and be right back in the top. So it's impressive to see these numbers this early on from power hitters. Now we're going to shift over to RBIs here. Runs batted in total on the season. We got some ties up at the top. And uh, in terms of number five, we have Jose Ramirez, who's a hit for average guy. Um, 63 RBIs, really impressive for him so far. Uh, definitely a guy that's always been a good hitter. And just impressive to see, you know, how consistent he is with all the how hitters are nowadays. I mean, most of the guys with RBIs are power hitters. And Jose has done it through, you know, singles and doubles. So really impressive for him. Number four, Aaron Judge, 64 RBIs. Uh, really impressive, obviously, when you have 30 home runs. You know, this is on average two and a half runs per homer. So, I mean, most of these runs are coming from homers. You're not going to see too many off of a single or something like that. Tied at second, we'll have Paul Goldschmidt from the Cardinals and CJ Crone from the Rockies tied at 65, just one above Aaron Judge. So, obviously, this list is going to you know fluctuate pretty frequently here when we do our stats updates. But, I mean, both – couple guys that have had strong years goldschmidt obviously is known for you know hitting like this but really impressive early first halves for them to this point and then number one we got the big strong guy pete alonzo from the mets at 69 uh very nice there from pete i think he's having a good good year to this point obviously uh always a power hitter i think maybe if he mixed in a few hits there that weren't home runs he'd actually boost his stats maybe a little bit, get some more RBIs up there. Obviously, the 69, a lot of it's coming from his 22 home runs. But, I mean, it's, I mean, it's tough to hit for singles, I guess. I mean, singles for him, or I guess singles for other people are like home runs for him just because, I mean, he's just getting the ball off the end of the bat and it just sneaks over the wall. So, impressive from, there from him. Uh, but that'll wrap up the stats side of things as now we're going to shift into kind of the midseason awards. You know, I mentioned – Yesterday, a couple of days ago, depending on what team it was, they reached the 81 game mark, that which marks the halfway. So we're going to get into some awards. We're going to alternate in terms of who we're talking about. Brady's going to get us started. But we're going to talk about MVP, Cy Young, Rookie of the Year, and Manager of the Year predictions. So if you want to get us started with MVP. Yeah, no doubt. Um, we're going to do, like you said, we're going to do four here. Um, we could go into go gloves. I don't want to. I don't want to go into silver sluggers. I didn't want to give a Hank Aaron award because – I don't want to pick like the next best hitter. It's like, so the Hank Aaron award is like the best hitter in baseball, but not really because it goes to like the second best hitter every year. It's like, it's like the offensive player of the year in the MVP in the NFL. Like the offensive player there is like a consolation prize nowadays. That's what the Hank Aaron award has become, which sucks, but whatever. Um, my MVP uh, in the American league, sticking with my preseason prediction. Uh, it's been about as good as it gets in terms of uh, picking a guy, Aaron judge. I'm sticking with it. Um, that, that's my midseason MVP. If I was projecting, it would be Aaron Judge. So uh, I'm giving I'm giving my awards based on midseason. Like if the season ended today, you know, some teams played 83, some teams played 81, some teams played 80. Um, roughly at the halfway point, if I'm giving awards right now, uh, postseason started tomorrow. I'm giving it to Aaron Judge in the AL National League. I'm giving it to Paul Goldschmidt. Um, kind of a career year for him in, in late in his career. Um, always really good for the Arizona Diamondbacks. Um, terrorized the Dodgers for a long time. But now that he's kind of in St. Louis, got a couple, I don't want to say down years, but down years for his standards. Um, he's having a career year in St. Louis, really carried him this year so far. Um, 
that infield's been great for them, but Goldie's probably really been the heart of the heart of the team. So gotta give it to Goldie. Yeah, those are two pretty easy predictions there. Uh I wanted to mix it up a little bit. My preseason predictions were Vlad for the AL and Goldschmidt for the NL. And so my NL pick was Goldschmidt as well. Uh, just hard not to pick him. He's just balling on every level, you know, defense, offense, uh, and the numbers are there. You know, he has the average, he has the power, he has the RBIs. Then my AL pick, Don Alvarez uh, from the Astros, coming on real strong. Um, whether if the season ended today you would get it, I don't think so maybe. But I definitely think he's a guy down the stretch that could definitely compete for it and maybe end up winning it, just depending on how the second half goes, you know how guys handle the all-star breaks with it being about five days off. So definitely a guy I could see winning it. And he's right up there in every offensive statistical category at the moment. Yeah, no doubt. Um, kind of shift over to Cy Young here. Another award uh, yearly that, you know, it, the guy who wins it, at the, wins it at the midway point doesn't always win it at the, at the end of the season. Um, again, last year, I think midway through the year, people talked about, you know, Walker Bueller, Max Scherzer is one of the, and it was one of the Cy Young, obviously, when Scherzer sold the Nationals. But, um, you know, this year, I'm um, going with the AL, AL Cy Young winner is going to be Shane McClanahan so far. Um, that guy has been as good as it gets, no question. He's been the cream of the crop. They, like he's like we said, he's top two in every every statistical category. So I'm going to go with him in the AL. And then I'm going to go in the NL, go with Tony Gonsolin. Um, again, I'm not going to punish the, punish the guy for pitching a few less innings than some other guys. Um He's done. He's been damn near the best at what he's supposed to do, which is keep runners from crossing the plate, keep runners off base. So, um, you know, he's been the man this year for them. Got a one five four ERA, and he's only been getting better as the season's gone on. So, um, I'm gonna go with my guy Gonsal again. Slight bias, but I'm allowed to have a bias. It's my favorite team. I'm allowed to have a bias. So, yeah, no, I uh, I picked two different guys, just mix it up. But I think you know, all combined between the two of us, the four guys that we picked could definitely win it down the stretch. I picked from the AL Justin Verlander, the guy that you know is not new to this. He's had more experience than anyone else that's right there at the top. Um, he's been right around to two ERA the whole year. It was down to one three eight early on. But I think it's at a two oh three right now. So really impressive stuff from him. You know, he's had, you know, a dozen starts to this point and I think he'd definitely keep it going. Like I said, he's had a ton of experience. He's been at the top most of the years he's been in the league. You know, my NL, I just got to stick with my pick. And Corbin Burns, the guy that's getting hot, so I got to stick with it. Um, and I think he could definitely come on a stretch and repeat as Cy Young winner for the NL. Oh, for sure. I could definitely see, um, you know, both those guys deserving at the halfway point. And I think both those guys projecting are, are great picks. Um, you know, Verla I think Verlander could get, um, you know, he may not have the best stats, but I could see him late in the year getting the votes just because it's kind of a – career accomplishment type deal. Um, he's having a great year, of course, but I could also see him getting some votes just because of that, because he's a Hall of Famer, that kind of thing. Um, nonetheless, be very deserving. So uh, we'll shift into the Rookie of the Year. Um, I think American League Rookie of the Year, this is a pick that's going to be right now and a pick that would take a catastrophic downfall in this player's game over the next half season uh, to not win it. It's Julio, Julio Rodriguez. Um, that guy has been – he started off a little slow at the power – we got into the majors this year early, but um, since then he's batting like in his last, I think in the last month and a half, he's batting like 350 or 340. Um, the last couple of weeks he's batting like 320. It's ridiculous. Um, it's on an absolute tear. The guy has been 
a top prospect for a long time. He's made it to the league. One of the fastest. I mean, he's a five-tool guy. He plays really good defense, hits really well, hits for power, contacting, steal bases. Um, maybe he does it all. So um, definitely going to pick him in the American League. I think this is a pick for now and a projection pick. And then in the National League, going to go with Spencer Strider, starting pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, he actually recorded this week the, the fastest pitch thrown by a starting pitcher in MLB history at 102.4 miles an hour. Obviously, you have guys like Aroldis Chapman who have touched 105 before, but those guys are relievers. They only throw 15 pitches an outing. They're not asked to go for 60, 70, 80 pitches a game. They're asked to go for 20. So it's a little easier to ramp up the velocity. You know, when you're only throwing 20 pitches, when you got to go 80, 80, 90 pitches a game and outing, you're, you're pushing five, six, seven innings of work, and you're still throwing 102 it's pretty impressive. Obviously, we'll throw 102 in the sixth inning, but through, I think it was the second inning of the give a game this past week, um, his last start through 102.4, which is crazy. Um, yeah, I'm going to stick with him. As, I'm going to go with him as the rookie of the year pick. Um, he's had a really good year so far, and I think he only continues to get better as young pitchers typically improve as the season goes on. I like both those picks a lot. I picked a couple of rookie outfielders. My AL pick is Julio Rodriguez as well. I think his average – for the year is at like 295 right now, which is really, really good. I think he could definitely go and go on to win it. Uh, obviously, Bobby Witt could somehow make a turnaround. You know, such a highly touted guy for a few years now. But I think it's really Julio's to lose, like you said. It, he's just been dominant, and you expect him to kind of maybe not be as hot as he's been, but be still really good down the stretch of the year. And then I got an NL outfielder from the Braves, Michael Harris. A guy that's played really, really well. He's come on strong lately. Um, he's played all three outfield positions, so really versatile for them. He's hitting 293, and he maybe he's had a few less at-bats, but he has the stats to do it, and he's on pace to have a really good year. I mean, I think he's had like 20 RBIs to this point, and he's had some bombs too. So impressive start from him. I don't know if he'll hold on, but I think he's definitely a guy that could win it at the end. No, Harris is definitely a good pick. Um, again, if he gets hot and stays hot, um, definitely a guy who can win it, no doubt. Um, rookie of the year is kind of hard when there's not a runaway candidate like there is in the American League. It's kind of hard to pick sometimes, especially midway through the year. So I think we'll get a really clear picture of the of kind of the, the leading pack about three quarters of the way through the year with kind of like a month and a half left in the season. But kind of go to our last midseason award here with manager of the year. Um, American League, I picked – I mean, it's a boring pick, but, um, th- I mean – it's Kevin Cash right now for me. Um, I hate making the pick because I hate the Yankees. I just don't like them. I think that's the sentiment everybody shares if you're not a Yankees fan. Um, but, I mean, it's Kevin Cash. It, not necessarily the guy that I would have – if I was a voter, I'd vote for, but I think that's who was who it is right now and who's going to win it eventually. Um, you know, America – or I guess – but, like, manager of the year always goes to a guy who either has the best record in the league or it's like a team who wasn't expected to do well – like last year, I believe um, I'm going to blank on his name now that we're on the pod live recording, but the Giants manager won it last year because they weren't expected to go. They won 107 games and they were expected to like no, win no more than 60. So, um, you know, it's, it's not obviously that's an extreme, right? You double your win, it's almost double your expected win total. But um, usually it's, you know, a team that is supposed to suck that does really well or just does better than they're supposed to. Um, so. Kevin Cash was my pick there um, just because they're probably going to win the most games in the MLB this year. They had a big jump in their production from a year, from last year to this year. So going with that, and nationally, I'm going with Bob Melvin so far. Um, could win a couple different directions here. I don't want to say any other names. I don't want to spoil whoever you picked. But um, 
couple different ways to go here. I went with Bob Melvin because what they've been able to do, um, they haven't done it as of late, but for the most part, they've been able to keep pace and stay a few games behind the Dodgers all year in the, in the National League West. Um, as of late, they've kind of slid, but uh, without with doing it all without Fernando Tatis Jr. is um, really impressive. You know, one of the best players in baseball, best shortstop in baseball, no question. So doing it, doing it all without him um, has been really impressive. So I got to give it to Bob Melvin. Yeah, I like the Melvin pick there. Coach, that has been really proven over the years. I definitely think he could end up winning it for the NL. Uh, my two picks, I got Rocco Baldelli from the Minnesota Twins. I think the Twins are doing about what I thought they would. Uh, they've had definitely a few underwhelming performances as of late. So I don't know if he will maybe – the odds for him to win it might slip a little bit in the coming weeks as it just seems like the Twins are kind of not as hot. But they're definitely playing well. Uh, right there, top four team in the AL. And I think he could win it. The Orioles are hot. I think if they get hot down the stretch, maybe finish a couple games over 500, their manager, Brandon Hyde, could be a candidate for it just because they're predicted to be the worst team in the league this year. Um, I mean, they've had injuries. John Means, their best pitcher, is out for the year. They've only called up one guy. So if they stay hot, if they finish above 500, uh, they're only, I think, six, five or six games below 500. So, you know, if they finish a couple games above, I could definitely see them winning it, like I said, even though they're not maybe a playoff team. But the NL, I have Buck Showalter, former Orioles coach. Love the guy. Uh, they fired him, but everyone knew he was never the issue. And I think what Buck's doing, obviously, you have some really good players on the Mets, but he's done really well. They were scorching hot to start the year and still playing fairly well. Not obviously quite as hot, but he's a really good coach, really good guy, and he knows how to get players to play well together, which is huge for that team. No, no, two really good picks there. Um, I think you make a good point. The Orioles guy could win it. I mean, listen, they go, they get, they get kind of hot. They finish maybe at five hundred or above five hundred, maybe not a playoff team, but they finish pretty close in the wild card hunt. I'd be voting for Hyde, no question. So. Um, yeah, no, those both really good picks there, especially with Shaw. Walter's a guy I almost picked. Um, I don't want again. I don't want to say it and, and steal your thunder, but that's a guy I, I almost picked. Um, I just want again. I'm with Melvin, but uh, Walter's definitely a guy I could see winning it down the road for sure, and a guy who more more than deserving it at the halfway point too. Yeah, no, definitely. I really like him, and Baldelli's done a good job there in Minnesota as well. Uh, that pretty much wraps up the kind of stats and predictions. There's no college baseball news this week, obviously. Ole Miss uh, finished off OU last week to complete the college baseball season. However, the MLB draft is set for Sunday, July 17th, and concludes on Tuesday, July 19th. So just a three-day ordeal. Uh, I think it's at one of the MLB Network studios. That's where it normally is. And while we, don't, while we won't have a mock draft for this one, uh, it is a 20-round draft. Normally it was 40, uh, but 20-round draft. So we will not have a mock, but we will discuss our own team's picks. So kind of like the total hall and any Texas Tech Red Raiders that were drafted. So be sure to tune in in a couple weeks for the recap on that, obviously, with it taking place next Sunday. Yeah, like you said, we won't do a full mock. Um, hard to do a full, even a first round mock, even a top 15 mocks hard for, for college, for, um, you know, college guys and, and high school guys going to the pros. Um, it's hard to hard to predict what MLB teams are gonna how they're gonna feel about college players and um, certain MLB certain uh, high school players going to the league. So um, 
definitely going to go kind of give our team's picks, at least for the first, you know, four or five rounds. Um, then, like you said, any any Red Raiders that are drafted, that's what I want to talk about. Um, love those guys. And then um, maybe like an Ivan Melendez gets drafted. We'll talk about where he went. We'll talk about, you know, maybe the top 10, top 15. We'll recap some of the bigger college names like a Kevin Parada, um, guys that we follow. We'll maybe talk about Jacob Berry, uh, guys of that nature. But other than that, Probably won't go much further in depth past maybe the first round or so, um, depending on where certain guys get drafted, big names. But uh, definitely looking forward to it. I love the MLB draft personally. Like I don't know everybody that gets drafted, but I know all the I know a lot of the college guys that get drafted. Um, I know that you know you could you could pick a guy in the 18th round and he could become a league MVP type guy. I mean, there's this the MLB draft truly is like you got to be good at scouting because you could any of these guys could be could be all stars and and um, you know all MLB guys, if you will. So I'm um, definitely looking forward to it. I'll definitely tune in, watch, watch the Dodgers picks, watch, definitely watch the first round, see who, see where guys go, see where Jace goes, that kind of thing. So I uh, definitely looking forward to it next week. Yeah, it's going to be fun to watch. Obviously there's so many avenues each team could go down when they're on the clock. You could go with a foreign player, you could go with a high schooler, or you could go with a proven college guy. Uh, so just really hard to do a mock there just because of the infinite scenarios more so than you'd have in maybe an NBA or NFL draft. But in terms of the NBA, we're going to shift over to there. Uh, We're going to touch on a few news points before we get into the wild week free agency that just occurred as it opened a week ago tonight. To kick it off, the Brooklyn Nets team plane was seen at the Phoenix airport this past week. A couple of pictures were posted from it. I had to check to make sure I wasn't getting uh, fooled or something via some fake Twitter edits. But it was definitely legit. Uh, Definitely people in the Phoenix airport were taking pictures and someone from the tower, I believe it looked like that picture was from with the Nets plane on the runway. So, I mean, obviously this is for a potential sign and trade between the Nets and Suns for Kevin Durant. Most likely destinations for for KD are probably Phoenix, Miami, or Toronto. There's a couple of dark horse teams, obviously. I could see the Grizzlies going after him. I could see, let's see, I could see... I mean, the Warriors have interest in bringing him back. I don't know what that would take for them to trade. Probably Wiggins, Poole, Kaminga in a first or something like that. So I don't know if they would want to do that. I wouldn't. Um, I, I want to see KD with one other star and see them, you know, the two of them produce healthy, um, maybe in a fresh landscape. The Mavericks could be a team that could go after him, would be really interesting. So I definitely think there's a lot of avenues that they could go down. The Nets have a lot of ammo. Um, or KD has a lot of ammo, so to speak. And I think, you know, a report came out yesterday saying the Nets wanted a otherworldly haul for KD and a haul that we hadn't really seen before, unprecedented return in terms of what they could get. Uh, We're going to discuss here in a minute. There was another really big trade this past week, but for things that could still happen in the NBA, this is definitely at the top. You know, the Kevin Durant thing is wild. Um, I won't get into it too much. You know what? Why not? I'll get into it a little bit here. Um, I think Kevin Durant's my outlook on him and his legacy has drastically changed. I think he is not nearly the player. Obviously, he's still a great player. Obviously, what he did, but I don't think he should ever be talked about in the in the with the likes of Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, Steph Curry. Even I mean, these guys never led a team. Those guys, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Shaq, Kareem, Hakeem, Dirk, Tim Duncan, those guys all led teams to NBA Finals appearances. Those guys, they were the man. Kevin Durant can't do that. He's shying away from doing that in Brooklyn. 
granted, again, maybe maybe he's four inches further back a year ago, and he hits that. He instead of a long two, it's a three, and they win Game Seven against against Milwaukee and go to the Eastern Conference Finals and go to the Finals and win. But he hadn't done. He didn't do it. It's just I don't know. I get it was a, a bad circumstance in Brooklyn this year, but at the end of the day, like his playoff performance was terrible. They got swept. He was he was awful in the playoffs. So. I don't know. I don't want to hear that. I don't, I don't like the Achilles excuse for him, but I don't know. Like the fact that he wants out now is kind of lame. I think, um, you know, I get Kyrie wanting out. I get it. But like, dude, like make it work, get it, get hit, get another star in for him and make it work with, with, uh, with the squad. Like he's just going to bail and be all, you know, throw a tantrum and then, and then demand to go somewhere with an all, like with another all-star. It's so like, at least he said, I think it's two, you want to play with two all-star caliber players. Like it's hard. That's a hard ask to go find a team that can provide the draft capital to get or the capital to get you in the draft and players and still have two all-stars on the team. So I don't know. I I think Kevin Durant has tarnished his legacy to a serious degree. Um, Skip Bayless is trembling hearing that, I'm sure, because I know Skip Bayless is a listener, you know, so he's trembling hearing me say that. But his about his boy. But I don't, I don't want to hear Kevin Durant talked about in the likes of, of like top 10 all time greats anymore. Um he, I mean, it's the thing with basketball. Like, it does matter, like, the, how many teams you play for sometimes and, like, the way you conduct yourself within the league because, like, one guy can't win you a title in the NBA. Like, obviously not anymore, but, like, one or two really good players can can carry a team to a title now, and that's always been that way. Like, it, in football, it doesn't really matter. Baseball, same thing. Like, one guy's not going to win you anything. You got to have a full team. You don't need to have a full great team to win every single year in the NBA. So, um yeah, I think that's kind of lame. Um, I don't know how you feel about it. I, don't, I We haven't had this conversation off the pie. This is kind of something I, I brought up kind of, you know, off the uh, – kind of off the cuff, but there's kind of um, – kind of lame, I think, of Kevin Durant just overall. Yeah, not surprised. It's kind of something he's always done since he left OKC. I don't know if the whole two All-Stars thing will end up happening or not. I guess we'll see probably here in the next week or so where he gets traded. But it's definitely going to be interesting. That's why I said, you know, something like Toronto or Memphis could definitely be somewhere where he could kind of rebuild his legacy. Obviously, Memphis has a couple of solid players. Uh, Toronto has a couple of solid players. I mean, Memphis maybe more so, but Toronto is definitely a place. I don't, don't know if he want to play there, but a place that he could rebuild his legacy, take over like Kawhi did and bring them to the top. He's definitely a player that can do that. I don't know if he would or if – it's too, that much of a possibility, but I definitely want to see him do that rather than go play with a couple other stars. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, my feelings were made known. I just think it's Bush League a little bit, but uh, we'll get to Kyrie Irving here. He remains in the trade block. Um, so it's been reported like the Lakers were the only team that have called the Nets with like serious intent of trading for him. Um, not super surprising, I suppose. I, I think teams are pretty – out on Kyrie, and I think they're pretty happy with what they have, except for the Lakers who have Russ. Um, you know, the, the problem with them is, like, the Lakers have been hesitant to give up draft capital, and that's a lot of what the Nets want. Um, so it sounds like this is reported a couple of days. I think you actually sent me the tweet um, that kind of reported this, but the Spurs are now being reported as, like, a potential third, um, you know, team to kind of get this deal done. It, oftentimes this happens a lot with, with, with blockbuster trades like this. There's a third, fourth, even fifth team, usually a couple of teams involved that are not directly getting players um, that are just kind of helping facilitate that move. Uh, it sounds like it would be Westbrook going to the Spurs and the Spurs maybe giving the, you know, giving 
um, protected pick or a top five protected pick to the Nets, um, or maybe a pick they acquired in the in the Dejounte Murray trade. Um, getting giving that to Brooklyn to kind of get that deal facilitated and done. Um, for me, I said this to you yesterday. I think I said it in, in response to the tweet you sent me. I was like, listen, the Spurs did undo a lot of wrong they did to me as a child. Being a Lakers fan, they do undo a lot of wrong if they were to get this help us get this deal done. Because I want Westbrook off the team. I want him out the city. I want I want everything, anything he is associated with done with the Lakers done. So if they can get him off the team, the, the Spurs may jump to my Texas power rank to the top of my uh, in-state power rankings on the teams. Now, I don't like any of the in-state Texas teams, but the Spurs may jump to the top. You know what I'm saying? I may have to jump to the top yeah. to get this deal done for us. So, uh, But Kyrie, definitely going to be traded. It sounds like this deal is not going to happen until the Kevin Durant deal happens, which, I mean, makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, that logically does make sense. They want to get the Kevin Durant, done for, Kevin Durant deal done first to see what holes they need to fill. So that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, dude, I, I, would, I would be so thrilled if the Spurs could get help us get that deal done. Dude, I'm over it. No, I definitely think the Spurs are a team that could do it. They have a lot of cap space, and regardless of where Russ goes, there's probably going to be a buyout, so he'll be a free agent. Um, but the Spurs definitely are a team that want to rebuild and want to have picks. And so I think, you know, if they got Russ, they could maybe get something and maybe give away one of their higher cap guys to help accelerate the rebuild. But definitely something to look for. Like I said, KD and Kyrie. Russ trades are kind of the only remaining trades left, at least, that are getting any attention. So something to look out for here in the coming weeks. Yeah, for sure. And this is the last bit of news um, before we get into the free agency stuff. We'll kind of go through that a little bit quicker. Um, but Memphis Grizzlies power forward Jaron Jackson Jr. underwent surgery to repair a, a stress fracture in his right foot last Wednesday. Expected to be silent for four to six months. Um, you know, not a not a not an easy thing to deal with there. Uh, you know, foot surgery is definitely um, pretty intense for an athlete. Um, you know, it sounds like he'll be good to go, you know, kind of at the, at the, all, you know, at the, at the winter break, if you will, for the NBA, I, I don't think he makes the opening day game. I don't think he probably plays till December. Um, and they should slow play it with him. They don't need him back immediately. Um, you know, they're just trying to make the playoffs again. They're not, they don't need to have the top seed. They just need to make the playoffs. So, um, yeah, I think I think if they can, you know, sustain without him for like a month or so, I think they should let him, you know, slow play his return. But definitely big news for the Grizzlies. Yeah, you know, a team that was the two seed last year, really, really good finish to the year, and they have all the pieces to go back. I mean, even get to the finals and win it all. I mean, if they add one of the top guys remaining, be huge for him. Uh, but definitely, Jackson was a big piece of that roster this past year, and unfortunate for them, he's probably going to miss, you know, the first third of the year. Or so. But they'll definitely be a playoff team this upcoming year. Uh, that pretty much wraps up the non-free agency news. The first week, like we said, was really, really wild in terms of free agency. I think when it opened last Thursday night, there were about a dozen deals within the first 10 minutes of it opening. Some maybe even illegal, uh, still investigating that. But started off, uh, pretty much the biggest money deal of it all was the Nuggets and star power forward Nikola Jokic agreed to a five-year, $264 million extension. Really, really big money for him, uh, deserving of it. I mean, he's at the top of his game, and he's as good as anyone in the league right now. So really deserving of it, and hopefully the Nuggets can stay healthy this upcoming season. Yeah, for sure. Um, definitely, like you said, deserving. Two-time MVP, this guy's the man, so definitely deserving of that. Um, a guy not as deserving here, Trailblazers and guard Anthony Simmons agreed to a four-year, $100 million extension. Don't know if I'd have paid him that much money. 
nevertheless they did um that's a move they decided they wanted to make so uh, you know maybe they try and keep dame they pay simmons he had a good year but i don't know if he's that worth that much money um and then wizards and guard uh bradley bill agreed to a five-year 251 million dollar extension it makes sense why he opted out of his uh his option so um kind of some clarity there massive deal for brad beal he earned it i think i don't know if that's going to be a great deal in the long term for them maybe it'll be like that russ deal that, that russ signed with 40 million you know 47 million in year five of that deal so who knows but um a couple big signings there in, the, in kind of the guard market yeah i think you know brad beal is a really really good player when he's healthy i don't think it's a good deal for the wizards he also had a no trade clause uh first ever like true no trade clause apparently to where he can veto any single trade offer that comes his way so if, if it's up to him if he wants he can stay in washington for the next five seasons and make 251 um I mean, impressive deal from him, and I think he's a really good player. Uh, so hopefully he stays healthy and can produce for that Washington team. Um, in terms of illegal moves, the Knicks and guard Jalen Brunson agreed to a four-year, $104 million contract. Uh, reportedly, they were tampering before the legal window opened because um, it was within seconds of it opening that they announced the deal with all the terms that they're a meeting with, he was meeting with the Knicks and that, you know, that Mavs canceled their visit with him and it was kind of a done deal before it opened. So they're investigating that. I don't know what like a punishment or uh, fines would be, but as of now, he's a Nick for four years, making fit, making 26 a year. So about where we thought, what we thought would happen and impressive deal for him. I don't think he's deserving of it, but nonetheless, he's a guy that, you know, could produce, be a good second, third option on a Knicks team. Uh, and then the Bulls and star shooting guard Zach Levine agreed to a five-year, $215 million contract. So massive money for him, just under 54 a year. Guy that I wanted the Spurs to get. Um, the Spurs had other ideas. Uh, but really impressive move there from the Bulls. I think he's a huge piece to that roster, and I think he'll continue to develop his game and improve there for Chicago. Yeah, no, that's a good signing for them. Um Big, big Zach Levine guy, personally. Um, really liked that signing for them. And then Brunson, uh, definitely some tampering going on there. That was a done deal, like, a week before free agency even opened. So, uh, Knicks are probably going to hit with, with some sanctions. Uh, probably going to be a pick loss, maybe, or, you know, fine. I, I, I would love to see the NBA drop the hammer on them. I think it's BS. So, drop the hammer, ban it from the playoffs for two years. I don't care. Do whatever. So, um, kind of move on to some other signings, though, with a couple, a couple of rookie – uh, max deals. I don't. I don't necessarily know how these max deals work because there's a couple different numbers. I think they're maybe incentive laden or, um, you know, based upon other numbers. I'm not really sure. But uh, Cleveland Cavaliers guard and All Star shooting guard Darius Garland agreed to a five year, 231 million dollar rookie max extension. It's like a, it's like the maximum denomination extension. So I'm not really sure how they get those denominations out and what the max is. But um, Darius Garland gets five years. 231 really I think it's worth it I think he's an, a, a future star for them definitely a building block piece for the Cavs and then the Grizzlies and all-star point guard John Moran agreed to a five-year 213 million dollar extension again rookie maximum denomination I don't know enough about NBA contracts to tell you why the Garland got you know what 18 more 18 million more than Ja did I don't know they're I think they're roughly worth the same so um you know we're not really sure what the difference is there but um yeah I guess I could figure it out but I just don't have the time nor They'll want to really go find out the difference in $18 million in an NBA contract. It's not that much money in the grand scheme of things for these guys. Yeah, I mean, there's so much uh, language to it where basically 
they spend this many years in the league, they get this many years. If they re-sign with the team, they get an extra year. And then they got a certain number per, like, stats and experience and stuff like that. So it's a little different than the rest of the leagues and how they do it. But Milwaukee Bucks bring back power forward Bobby Portis on a four-year, $49 million deal. So a little bit of a cheaper deal there, just over $12 million a year. Uh, really impressive that they can get him on it. Uh, he was a big piece for them back when they won it. Uh, he's really good in helping Giannis in his game. I definitely think they're good together. Brooke Lopez, uh, another guy that is pretty good in that aspect. But another big move uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves made uh, with all-star center Carl Anthony Towns agreed to a four-year $224 million extension. Uh, he's still under contract for this upcoming year, and it kicks in in a couple of seasons for the 2024-2025 season. It brings Cats six-year value to 295, so impressive deal for them, but they made other moves as well. Yeah, they made they made some other moves um, <clears throat> this week. They traded for center Rudy, Rudy Gobert, and they sent five players and four first-round picks to Utah in return. Utah committed – the greatest heist of all time. I mean, the greatest heist ever. They got five players, and some of whom were very good players. They're solid players. And four first-round picks for Rudy Gobert. What's he going to do with Cat? He's just going to hang out? He's gonna, just going just gonna to post up, hang out, you know, kick it for however many years? It's terrible. This is a terrible trade. This is awful. This is maybe going to go down as the worst trade in NBA history. Because of the fact that they gave him four first-round picks. And listen, first-round picks aren't as valuable as they are in football. But still giving him four first-rounders and five players, nine assets going for Rudy Gobert. He's not that good. He, he doesn't score more than 18 a game. And he's not going to score that many with, with them. What are they trying to do? Go back to, like, the 90s and play basketball? Come on, guys. This is an incredibly – Mind-numbing trade. I don't really know why they did it. Um, I mean, people talk about this big three or big four with, like, Anthony Edwards, D'Angelo Russell, Cat, and Rudy Gobert. Like, I don't know. Maybe maybe Carl Anthony Towns goes and plays the, only the power forward now and it's just a stretch big. I don't know. But it seems like a strange deal to me. And then um, another strange deal, uh, Pelicans and big fellas Zion Williamson agree to a five-year $193 million extension with up to $231 million. Uh, likely weight and performance-based incentive-laden deal. Um, you know, Zion's got to hit his weight checkpoints, kind of like a training camp deal for NFL guys. Got to hit, got to hit your weight at this date and then this date. And uh, maybe he's got to play actually play a few games. Homie hasn't played a game in of basketball in like almost two years, so didn't understand this one. I, I obviously they had to pay him, but like I would have made this like a not a max extension. It would have been like a I don't know. I'd have given him like a two-year deal with an option, like two-year deal with a three-year option, like player and team option. I don't know, something like that. But this is stupid. It, ba- basketball money is so dumb. Basketball players get paid way too much money. I'm sorry. Like these dudes are – Zion Williamson is about to make $20 million a year and not play basketball. He hasn't played basketball in two years. What are we doing? Yeah, I don't get it. It's definitely confusing the way they pay the guys. Uh you know, Gobert and Cat is going to be a dominant front court. I didn't get the value they traded. Obviously, the first round picks don't have huge value, uh, but sending, you know, Walker Kessler, Patrick Beverly, and a couple other guys over is definitely 
interesting. Uh, maybe pay a little too much, but I mean, I get what the Timberwolves are trying to do. They're trying to win now and compete. Um, I mean, it makes sense because you have to pay Anthony Edwards probably in a couple of years, 70 a year at the way it's going Jesus. now. Um, but I mean, like I said, it didn't really make a lot of sense. And then all the young guys getting, you know, 40 plus mil a year doesn't make a whole lot of sense either. That's pretty much it. Uh, there were some other smaller moves that we didn't really discuss in the NBA, but these were just the big name moves that did uh, come to fruition and were finalized and contracts were signed. But now we're going to move on to college football as we could possibly have some realignments within the conferences. Yeah, we've got the first, one official move this week um, kind of broke and it was, I mean, shocking news. This is, this is um, kind of came out of left field. Nobody really knew this was going to happen. Um, UC, USC and UCLA will be joining the big 10 in 2024. Each rumored to be making about a hundred million dollars in TV deals. Um, TV deal drive everything, man. It's a billion dollar business. So, um, you know, Big Ten capitalized. They they made their move, um, and now there's going to be some moves that are going to be made that um, you know might blow up some conferences. Definitely going to be. Um, I think this move, obviously, the Texas Oklahoma thing going to SEC, going to the SEC, obviously is big. But I think this one is going to have some serious waves. Um, a serious trickle effect and um that kind of goes on throughout college football it didn't make a whole lot of sense for geographically uh, there's a lot of realignment that could be done to minimize travel and stuff like that for teams and athletes this is not it making it you know two teams five hours apart from the rest um i mean but it's not the only thing that really is getting some steam the big 12 they're making a strong push to add four to six teams from the remaining schools that are left in the Pac-12 after USC and UCLA left. So Utah, Colorado, Arizona, and Arizona State, it pretty much sounds like a lock. They're going to join the Big 12 in 2024, along with Cincinnati, UCF, Houston, and BYU. And then Oregon and Washington are two other teams that are in talks with the Big 12, uh, but they have not received an invite. So it remains to be seen kind of what the deal is with them there and if they're going to join a conference or stay. Don't really know at this point. It's a little too early for them as they kind of haven't had as much traction as some other schools. Yeah, it sounds like so early on, it sounded like they were going to go to the Big Ten, too. It sounded like Oregon was definitely going to go. And then they were waiting on. I'll hit this point first. Notre Dame is probably going to join the Big Ten. It sounds like um, the Big Ten told Oregon and Washington, hey, let us figure out Notre Dame and then we'll see what we want to do with you guys. Uh, in the meantime, after these four teams sound like they're going to go to the Big Ten, the Big 12. Oregon and Washington are now in talks with both conferences. It sounds like if I'm Oregon, I'm going to the big 12. If I go to the big 10 and at least for, this is all college football driven, of course, but like I got to, I go to the big, the big 10 for college football. Who, who am I better than like at the top? I'd rather go compete in the big 12 and probably be, they're probably the best. They're the best football program in the big 12 from day one. If they were to join 2024, I mean, they're the best program in the big 12. I, I know that Baylor's been really good as of late. They're going to have a great year, but historically, Oregon will be the best program in the Big 12 in 2024 if they were to join. No question. I think it's not even close. I think Baylor is obviously a close second, maybe, depending on what they do the next couple of years. But, again, this is this will be a big move for Oregon. I think they would they would need to go. That's, how, that's their ticket to being a power still. Um, Washington, same thing. They need to kind of get refooted. Um, my big question here is what is Stanford going to do? Like Stanford's a legit program and everything. Like they're a really good football program. 
they're a pretty solid basketball program. They're decent. They're a great baseball program. What are they going to do? I mean, there's rumors of them going Ivy League, but like they go Ivy League, they're done. Like they're maybe they're a good bas- baseball school, but they're done in football. I think if if I'm Stanford and I can't get an invite to the Big Ten, I'm going to go and I'm going to do a Notre Dame. I'm going to be independent for however long I need to be independent for. That's what I would do. I would build, I'd pull a Notre Dame. I'd play a bunch of Big Ten schools. I'd still try and play USC, UCLA. I'd maybe schedule Michigan every year. I, I would do what Notre Dame did. Schedule some scrubs. Schedule you know four or five really good programs every year. Be an independent and try and make a push for a playoff. I mean, they're going to expand, it sounds like. Uh, it's, they're going to have to now. Um, but, yeah, this this whole landscape, I, I don't think any of this is, is anywhere close to being done. The ACC could get blown up, and it could be a big three. Power three with the Big Twelve, SEC, and eight and, and Big Ten. Um, geographically, it makes sense for the SEC to kind of absorb a lot of the, a lot of those ACC teams: Clemson, South Carolina, Florida State, Miami, uh, even North Carolina, North Carolina State. I mean, it makes sense to absorb those. Um, maybe you cut out Vanderbilt and, you know, Kentucky. I don't know it. Hard, it's hard to say. I mean, right, it's all college football driven. But you look at Kentucky, they're a solid baseball program. They're a really good basketball program. So you look at Vanderbilt, they're the they're a top five baseball program ever, right? I mean, they're they're legit. So it's hard to say what you cut out. Um, you know, obviously, and I'm gonna hit on this later, but it's obviously like it, it goes deeper than football and every other sport, but like this is all driven by football. So um yeah, I don't think I, I'm not expecting changes to be done anytime soon with all this stuff. Um, it's intriguing for sure, but um, you know, I don't expect any of it to be done anytime soon. Yeah, I think the Big 12 should add the six teams, including Oregon and Washington, and the Big 10 should add Stanford and Notre Dame, and then all you'd have left is four conferences, and it'd be perfectly even. Um, I mean, obviously, with the ACC, probably the next one to go, but yeah. I think the Big 12 would have. 18 if they added six teams and so you'd make a big 12 east and big 12 west with nine teams in each you can maybe play all those teams each year and then you'd play one team from the other division or the other side of the conference and i think you'd have a pretty good schedule there with a lot of good teams um i mean it'd be fun to watch and it'd be good to have new teams playing each other so i think that'd be a good option and then the big 10 obviously you're going to have more teams adding stanford and notre dame will be really helpful to football and baseball especially baseball, you know, two really good baseball teams where Big Ten's bad at baseball. Uh, Michigan had kind of a down year. Maryland played really well, but they're not always up there. So other than that, I mean, if you had Stanford and Notre Dame, it'd be a good baseball conference. Yeah. Uh, Rutgers played really well. Well, you look at UCLA too. They're they're a top baseball program too. Yeah. It runs runs deeper. I mean, they're probably – they add a couple of really good basketballs. Like, I don't know what Stanford's going to do. And then they look at even like Oregon State and Cal. They're going to probably join like the American. Like, yeah, I don't know. I think that's all. That's probably all the teams in the big in the Pac-12 right now. Um, you remember? Remember that? I just remember this. Remember that like when the SEC took on Texas and Oklahoma. Remember like the alliance that got announced: Pac-12, ACC, and Big Ten alliance. That was yeah. not, that's not the window. I mean, clearly that was not uh-huh. legit. So, yeah. uh, I I just remember that. That's that's. That lasted, that lasted that lasted a while that was solid um but yeah i mean the college the college football thing's crazy um but i think that, i mean that kind of wraps up college football in this in this if there's anything else you want to add um kind of the conversation i'll let you kick off the nfl the nfl news here yeah no i think just to finish off the conference talk i'd rather have oregon state than washington oregon state yeah they're garbage at basketball and football but just the baseball aspect would be so fun um it would make, 
you know, the Big 12, really, really good at baseball. Uh, easily the best conference. So it'd be fun to see if it could happen. It'd be also fun to maybe make a trip there one time uh, for a series or something. So that's pretty much it, though. Uh, maybe we'll have some more news next week. Maybe not. Maybe everything will be the same. Maybe some things will go back to normal and all the rumors will go away. I don't know. But to wrap up the news section, we talk about the NFL as we normally do. And the final kind of big domino fell before training camp gets going as Baker Mayfield was traded yesterday. Impressive trade for Baker, really happy for him, a guy that could really do well. Uh, He was traded to the Carolina Panthers. Additional 2024 fifth-round pick for him. Um, Pick can turn into a fourth based on how much he plays, so similar to what happened with Carson Wentz, uh, just a lesser degree. So I think it would definitely end up being a fourth-rounder, and I think – you know, there's competition there, and I think Baker should win it. And it's going to be really fun to watch him play with a really good offense around him. Yeah, I, I think I texted you yesterday. Like, if the Panthers are, can get healthy, they can get their corner room healthy with J.C. Horn, Stephon Gilmore, and C.J. Henderson, who had a great rookie year a couple of years ago. They can get that room healthy. And that's not even mentioning the other guys that they've got. They get that room healthy. They can get CMC to avoid the major injury and maybe only miss a couple games here. They're just being banged up as a running back. They've got Ikiakonu up front. I mean, that's a really good team. That's a that's a that's a quality team that could make a push for the seventh playoff spot in, in the in the NFC. So, I would love to see it. I hope Baker balls out. I hope he goes to town. He's playing. He's playing the Browns week one. I hope he, I hope he balls out. I hope he does really well. Um, kind of getting into the nuance of the deal. It's reported that Baker will be in a quarterback battle with fellow 2018 draft classmate Sam Darnold. Um, to the Panthers traded for last offseason, gave up a little more capital for Sam, but um, nevertheless, sounds like it's going to be a QB battle. Um, I'm picking Baker 10 out of 10 times over – they're both healthy over Sam. I love Sam. I think he's a great guy. Um, he's an SC guy, but I just think Baker's better than, better than him. He's proven that at the NFL level. So um, I think Baker wins that. And then Cleveland will pay t- Baker $10 million this year, while Carolina will only pay him around 3.5 mil, um, give or take a couple hundred thousand dollars, which – it's only a couple hundred thousand. It's just you know chump change for those guys. Um, but someone needs to go check on the Browns front office because they are now paying two quarterbacks a combined fifty-five million dollars to pay zero snaps for them next year. Fifty-five million to pay zero to play zero snaps. They already paid Deshaun forty-five million up front in signing. It's already that's it's in the checking account. That 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 wire transfer hit already. And they're paying Baker ten mil to go play for the to play for the, the Panthers, which was going to happen. But I mean, guys, what are we doing here? Fifty five million for no snaps? Come on, got Jacoby Brissett, man, man, man in the man in the ship there. That's going to be rough. Yeah, I mean, the Browns have a really good roster, but they could very well finish at the bottom of the division. Um, they're going to have a tough schedule this year, and with Brissett at quarterback, I mean, if he gets injured, what happens to them? I mean, they're suddenly the worst team in the league. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens there, but it looks like he's going to be their quarterback for the whole season if he stays healthy. They're probably going to bring in another quarterback, just sign one. Um, they're probably going to have three for the training camp and then obviously probably go into the season with two. But, yeah, really interesting there. Really happy for Baker and Carolina, though. Uh, but to wrap up NFL kind of gaming aspect, Madden 23 is set to release pretty soon. There will be around five players like there are each year that are given a 99 rating when the season starts, which means kind of all the best attributes, the best agility, best speed. Um, and while the rating are subject to change, it's a huge honor to receive the rating. 
Currently, only one player has been announced as a member of the 99 club, and that is 49ers left tackle Trent Williams, a really good player for most of his career, older guy, and just had an incredible year and definitely deserving of it. Cool to see him kind of get the honor, get the trophy, get the chain. Um, But we can predict players like Aaron Donald and TJ Watt will be joining Trent when all the players are announced. But as of now, we just have one player, but – there was a leak as of 8.30 a.m. Central today. It has been rumored that the 99 club members that will be joining Trent are Aaron Rodgers, Cooper Cup, Aaron Donald, and T.J. Watt. So four guys to join Trent, all really deserving, whether it's true or not. I guess we're not entirely sure, about 95% sure. Definitely Aaron Donald, T.J. Watt, Cooper Cup. Aaron Rodgers, if he wasn't in 99, I guess maybe 97, 98. But definitely the other three guys – will be 99s if I had to guess. I mean, they all had incredible years. Aaron Donald's always 99. T.J. Watt, sack record. Cooper Cup, receiving record. So definitely guys that should be up there. Maybe you see Devontae Adams as well. I don't know, but definitely seems like the three of the four leaks are a lock to join Trent. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you kind of predict the guys who are going to be up or up around there every in the 99 club. Um, definitely a prestigious group, really cool to be a part of um, for sure. But kind of wraps up the pod today we're gonna to get into the ice bath here um you want to go first with the, with your first one this is this is uh this is legit I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing hearing how this breaks down here yeah so we just got two ice baths here a little bit uh as we get round out the episode but so every fourth of july uh, as i hope everyone had a great fourth of july this past week um spending time with family and friends there are many traditions across the u.s from gillen hamburgers and hot dogs brats uh, to launching fireworks, doing some cornhole. Uh, but perhaps the best tradition, personal preference, is the Nathan's Famous Hot Dog Eating Contest. Uh, I've watched it probably the past six, seven years. I'm with you, by the way. My, best tradition out there. Just want to throw that I know, Best tradition we have ever. Not, not, never going to get touched, ever. My, my uncle is a really big fan of it. Um, but basically the contest is where the top like 20, 25 eaters in the world, Major League Eating, official world rankings, uh, they face off in a competition at one long ass table and see who can eat the most hot dogs and buns in 10 minutes. And leading up to this year's competition, Joey Jaws Chestnut has won 14 of the last 15 competitions. So this is like Tiger Woods in 2001. And he was a massive favorite this year. And so the way the contest works is they got a huge plate of hot dogs and buns. And they have about a dozen cups on each side of the plate full of water. Whoa, and what you so got to do, every player has a different tactic that they <laughs> devour these glizzies with. And so what a lot of them do and what Chestnut does, is he actually eats the buns separate from the dog. So he dips the buns to like waterlog them and soak them down in the water and then, and then puts them in his mouth. And they go down a lot smoother if they're wet, obviously. And then the hot dogs pause. <laughs> and so the hot dogs he eats separate, and it's just—I mean—he'll go two, three at a time. I mean, there's no reason he's this dominant in such a sport where you have so many people trying to get get to the top. But I mean, Chestnut's the number one ranked eater in the world. He has been for a while. He's about 17 dogs and buns in uh, just over a minute. I mean, he started out at around 11 dogs per minute. He kind of tails off a good bit towards the end there. I mean, he was 17 in, and he was winning by four at the time, and he was currently working on the 18th, and someone in a Darth Vader mask and a black shirt 
ran on stage, bumped into Joey. So he stood right between Joey and the guy next to him. So center stage, he held up a sign saying, expose Smithfield's Death Star. Um, I don't know what the Death Star correlation to. I know there's a Smithfield, Virginia, where they kind of, it's a meat processing plant where they kind of slaughter pigs and maybe the way they do it is illegal. Uh, they get hot dogs and stuff like that. So I don't know what the correlation is exactly. Cry There's about it. obviously something about it that a lot of people don't know. I don't think anyone really understood the full meaning of the poster that he held up. Uh, but Joey was not a fan of it. Um, no one was going to let him lose the competition, sabotage the main event. And so he put him, he puts his arm around him, put him in a choke hold, threw him down on the ground, and he went right back to scarf him down his 15th of what would be what would end up being a disappointing 63 glizzies in 10 minutes. I know in terms of, you know, when we're breaking it down, dogs and buns per minute, 6.3, definitely disappointing for him. I think, you know, one every 10 seconds or so is not what he came out to do. I think he tore his Achilles in December. So, you know, the rehab from that can maybe stall your preparation for the competitions like this. I don't know what the deal was, uh, but 63 is very disappointing. I think it was his lowest number in like six years. Last year, he set the world record with 76. My prediction was 76. And it was far off the over-under of 74 and a half. Anyone that bet the over got a refund just because of, you know, Mr. Death Star kind of sabotaging the competition for a few seconds. I don't know if he was going to get 12 hot dogs in the five seconds that he was on stage, but I guess maybe some sports bettors thought he would. So everyone got a refund. But yeah, the under definitely hit um, by a lot and nobody else ate over 40. I think the second place guy was 13, 23 hot dogs behind at 40. So underwhelming competition overall this year, but definitely fun when you throw in the twist of a guy protesting a hot dog eating competition. <laughs> I mean, listen, if, that, if this is the place you're going to make your movement heard, I don't know, man. Like Pete has been fighting that fight for how long, it, homie? You're not. You're just now realizing that that slaughterhouses might be a little like inhumane. Where have you been, bro? Like, are you living under a rock? <laughs> what are you new here? Like, what, what are we doing? So I, uh, I don't know. Listen, this guy, Joey threw him to the ground. Joey made him look like a small child. He ragdolled this man. So Joey let him know. Sixty-three glazes. I, I, here's the thing. If I was Joey Chestnut, I've already set the record. I'm already the most dominant athlete ever. In any sport ever. He's the most dominant athlete ever. Why do I need to go pound 80 glizzies today? Like, I've already set the record. If, if, if nobody is within 20 glizzies of me, I'm not, I'm not I'm going to slow down. You know what I'm saying? So, listen, the DPM still very high, higher than anybody else's. So, got to show right. love and respect to the GOAT. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and no, definitely impressive showing there from him. Right up there with Tiger and Tom Brady and, you know, MJ, guys like that. Um but, yeah, I want to see him next year, hopefully when his fifth, 16th and 17 tries. Uh, maybe maybe get to 80. I don't know. He's getting up there in age a little bit. I think he's going to be 39 at next year's competition, but something to watch out for. You know, I, I watch every year. I don't – I mean, I, I make a – I was in the car driving home. I, I wasn't driving. I was in the passenger seat. Let me just clear that up. I got my phone out and watched in the car. I had to. How do you not? It, it's, it's every year. It's the best thing ever. So, um, you know. Joe is going to keep doing his thing. Um, I will say some of the shot they had a close up. Actually, this is they missed 
they this so Joe the protest was not cut on camera on the broadcast. It was caught on a video of someone who was there. Now the broadcast missed it because they were doing a close up of an eater um, who was from. I think he's actually. I think he's from Nigeria. I think he's born and raised in Nigeria. I don't think he currently yeah. lives there. I think, but he's from Nigeria. I forget his name, but he's got he had like a, a super thick beard, and he has it's like super dark black hair, right? Because his beard's super thick. It was a very but very impressive beard, might I add, very impressive beard. But he's got like a super thick dark beard, and um, they did the close up on him, and he's got like all this wet hot dog bun like in his face. Maybe the most repulsive thing I'd seen all week. Um, I'm gonna need him to, to, to pull back on the close up shots of the guys with beards because I, I, it's just not what I need to see. Um, Nikki finished like fifth or sixth. Um, but while I was watching, I did look up Joey Chestnut, like MLE, uh, Major League Eating, just to see like what he he's legit and everything, anything else, or if it's, if it's just strictly hot dogs, buns. No, 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 this guy holds 55 world records for like Major League Eating. I mean. What? 55 records is a record in and of itself. He's eating. It's He has like, he has like the most chicken wings eaten in like 20 minutes. It's something ridiculous. Like some of the records on there are also like someone drank like two over two gallons of chili in 20 minutes. What? It's impressive. Yeah, it's. We got a little off the rails here with the ice bath, but. Listen, this is the biggest event of the year in sports. I mean, to be honest, and this is a top, this is an S tier event. And the announcers they had for it also S tier. I mean, this guy's let it off with like, someday there's going to be nothing left. We're all going to die. But that today's not that day. We're here to witness history. So, you know, I'm with that. No doubt. Um, I was going to have some talk about realignment as my, as my ice bath, but I'm going to skip that. Because as we were recording, something dropped that I'll talk about is my second ice bath. My first ice bath, I'll finish. I'll do my second one as my best one. I think my best one. Do my first one here. Mookie Betts last night at his first walk-off hit as a Dodger. Um, is an infield single. Bases were loaded. No outs. Um, is a chopper. Bounced above the pitcher's head. The Rockies had five infielders in. Um, two guys kind of converged. And there was just – you were, they weren't throwing out Cody Bellinger at home. They just weren't. The guy's moving at six foot five. He's got huge strides. Um, he's running on, on any any ball hit on the ground. So, um, you know, infield single. Mookie gets his first walk off as a Dodger. Love to see it. I'm a big Mookie Betts fan. Um, I got I got the Mookie Betts jersey. Big fan of his. Um, great guy. Professional bowler as well. Frequently bowls 300s, if anyone didn't know that. Pretty impressive. Um, but after the game, uh, you know, you kind of they celebrate the walk off. Whatever you can kind of see him walking off to do the, the, you know, on-field interview with Sportsnet LA. It's like the – regional broadcast for the Dodgers. Um, and as you can see him walk over kind of as like, as like the, the feeds, like cutting to like the post game and then like right back to the, you know, little commercial break or whatever, before they get to the interview. Um, Mookie Betts had a handshake ready to go with the lead reporter, Kirsten Watson, who's great. She's awesome. He had a handshake ready to go with her and the cameraman. Homie was like busting out the handshake with both these guys. It was awesome. I don't know who the cameraman is. Don't know his name. Shout out though. He's, he's cool. But here he had the, he had the handshake with Kirsten Watson they got it going. It's pretty sweet. Um, I just thought it was cool. Mookie Betts, super cool guy. Uh, he's dapping up cameraman, dapping up the reporter. Got a whole set handshake going. Uh, pretty legit. Need more Mookies in baseball. Need more Mookie Betts in life. The guy's super cool, super chill, uh, pretty laid back. Guy hits dingers. Uh, in his first, like, three games back from injury, he has three extra base hits. Uh, I think he had, I guess yesterday was his fourth game back. Then extra base but he had a walk-off. So uh, he's doing pretty well on his return from injury. Uh, 
that's my guy. First walk off, first walk off as a Dodger and, um, you know, super cool handshake. The guy's about as cool as it gets, cool as the other side of the pillow. So um, shout out Mookie Betts in my, this, this part of my bath. Yeah, it's pretty cool. I definitely think, you know, off the field, so to speak, stuff away from the actual game of baseball. It's cool to see with people that aren't on the team. I know, you know, back when Mark Trumbo was kind of the best power hitter in the league, he, the Orioles always had a tradition where if there was a walk-off during the interview, they would get a whipped cream pie in the face. And it was very, it was like a huge tradition for Orioles. Like they would always know it's coming and always, and Mark Trumbo was like, we need to cut it because someone's going to get hurt by whipped cream by the pie pan hitting their face or whatever, and we need to cut it. So they cut it. And so I'm not a big fan of Mark Trumbo anymore because of that. Uh, it was very poor that he decided to do that. They used to be like Adam Jones's thing, uh, just pieing everyone in the face all the time. But I'm glad no one came out to report the handshakes with reporters because that, that's good to see. Um, hopefully no one bans that as well. Hey, listen, but COVID my, protocols, you know, you can't have hand contact with COVID protocols. You know, got to stay safe. I, I guess, yeah. But <laughs> someone call Mark, someone call Mark Trumbo. Let's get let's get the fun police over here. Get him over. Yeah. That guy is not too fun. Um, definitely after the games of baseball. Man, I bet, I bet him to wrap Ro- up. I'll just say, I bet him and Roger Goodell are like best friends. They're probably awesome together. It might be. Maybe maybe he Maybe he retired from baseball to pursue a career in the front office of an NFL team. That's right. I don't know, but to wrap up my part of the ice bath, um, as we each have two for y'all today. So Tiger Woods hadn't played since the PGA Championship when it was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, a little over a month ago. He is in Ireland and surrounding countries as he prepares for his first start since the PGA. And he has played a couple rounds just to get acclimated to the climate and the winds, you know, get his body clock right. And today he played a round with Rory McIlroy and they were just talking about different shot shapes and situational shots. And there was one hole along the water and they were talking and he threw in just like throughout the round, but this hole specifically, I didn't know what they said exactly, but he threw in a, he and Rory threw in a couple of low blows about the live golf tour, uh, just at, in the middle of the conversation would be random. And then they just go over to the live golf and say something. It was funny. I mean, those two guys, two of the most knowledgeable guys on tour about golf, the game itself and what you can do to do really well in it. Obviously Tiger at this point in his career is not the best athlete on tour. Rory is five, eight hitting the ball further than anyone else. So two guys that know a thing or two about how to get the most out of their body and how to, you know, maximize their swing to hit the shots they need. Obviously Rory being really hot guy right now, uh, he's been really at the top of his game for the past couple of months. So, it's really cool to see those guys just talk about different things, situations on certain holes and how to approach it. So I thought that was really cool. Um, not a huge thing, obviously, but it was cool and funny that they were talking about the live golf. No, it's kind of funny. I, I, it doesn't shock me that those two guys are kind of dogging on the live. Um, you know, two guys are going to stay. They're pretty diehard for the PGA. So um, good to see, like you said, two very knowledgeable golfers, um, two of the greats. So kind of cool to see them playing around together, just kind of, you know, BS and like, like regular dudes play golf, like just play golf and just talk about stuff. You know what I mean? So it's pretty cool to see. So my, my other part of the, of the ice, my, my one was going to be like talking about how the realignment, like big 12 is a great basketball conference now, but like everyone knows that. So I'm not going to throw that in there. 
as we're recording, uh, the MLB Futures game roster dropped. Most people don't really care about the Futures game. I love it. It's all a bunch of young prospects who are highly rated. Um, so Orioles have, let's see, Orioles have Hunt, uh, Gunnar Henderson in the infield is on the roster. Um, let's see, in AAA. Didn't know he was in AAA now. Good for him. I think that's all the Orioles yeah. guys have. Um, but like Jack Leiter's yeah. in this game. Um, and not a lot of well, less well-known guys in the American League than there are in the National League. National League's got some dudes on this roster. Um, fun fact, though, you remember Jimmy Rollins played long time for the Phillies, played for the Dodgers and the Giants. Yeah. He is uh, he's the manager uh, for like for for the Ameri- for the American League, which is kind of cool. Um, it's a bunch of usually a bunch of former major leaguers like Adrian Beltre is like the hitting coach for the for the team, which is kind of cool. Um, mm-hmm. In the National League. A couple big name guys here. Uh, let's see. But Dodgers have Bobby Miller, one of my favorite prospects. We've got uh, he's in Double A right now. Really, he had a really good outing last week, actually. Um, Diego Cartaya, another uh, high high rated prospect for the Dodgers. I think he's top twenty in the in the kind of the MLB pipeline. hundred. A uh, Henry Davis, first overall pick uh, in last year's draft. Um, I think he's all season Double A right now or two years ago. Um, but yeah, he's a, he's in this game. Um, let's see. Got a couple outfielders as well. Uh, Corbin Carroll, uh, guy we wanted to go see in Amarillo. He's he's there. Um, Dodgers have Miguel Vargas there, kind of cool. Um, just I, I love watching these guys. Um, kind of want to talk about it just because it's um, just a really fun deal. Uh, like I said, it, it's kind of like my favorite favorite kind of year or time of the year is MLB all-star break. I think it's really fun. Um, but the, the futures game is super cool. Get to see a lot of guys perform against other high quality prospects. Um, real, I hope Cartaya gets to see lighter and like an at bat. I'd love to see it. Um, two really highly rated guys, two power guys, lighter throws a heater, um, you know, pushes 98, 99 and, and Cartaya is a, he's got a serious bat that can swing for power. So um, just fun to see. Um, obviously I want to see Bobby Miller pitch that kind of thing. Um, but good to see. Obviously, the Dodgers have like three or four guys in the roster because they're going to – I mean, they're their home team. They're going to have – usually the home team always has a couple more prospects and um, anything else, which makes sense. You want to get the home fans to see their guys. But um, really looking forward to – I'll definitely watch the Futures game. I know it's usually like pre-recorded and then they do it. It's like the softball celebrity game and I'll watch that. But like I think it's cool. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've started following like Major League prospects pretty closely in the last year or so. Um, just, I mean, I've gotten a lot more into baseball in the past couple of years, so I started to follow prospects pretty pretty closely. Um, always checked like the updated pipeline 100 list. Uh, always looking to see that kind of thing. So really, really enjoy um, kind of following prospects. And definitely going to watch the futures game for sure. So that was kind of one of my one of the other there's like my last uh, little thing on the pod today. Yeah, I think I really like watching it. I normally always am on vacation when All Star breaks happen, so I always watch it. But definitely a fun game to watch. I know was watching it back when Rutschman was in it. I know our top pitcher, Grayson Rodriguez, would be in it, but he's injured uh, yeah. until probably October, so that's unfortunate. But Gunnar Henderson's a guy that I could see getting called up here in a month. Really just impressive year in AAA from him so far, and I think um, it's fun to see you know how these guys are going to do against other top competition. So that game will be happening during the All-Star week, and we'll kind of get to covering all that stuff. I just checked Twitter. Um, this is two hours ago. North Carolina, Florida State, Clemson, and Virginia are all negotiating to join the SEC. Trying to avoid their TV deal with the ACC. 
That's crazy. That'd be a wicked baseball conference. Dude, you want to talk about some teams. Wow, dude, that's crazy. Yeah, so it's going to be a three-team, three-conference um, in probably three years. So yep, that'll yep. be fun, though. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm curious. So here's the, here's the real question. I saw this kind of conspiracy theory from our fa- both of our favorite Twitter uh, personality, Big Game Boomer. Guy who's got the most time on his hands in the world. Homie's coming out with top spot 50 linebacker coaches and called, bro, you don't know what the top 50 linebacker. You don't know anything yeah. about linebacker coaches. Stop it. He's like but, backup holder power rankings. Dude, seriously. Like he'll come out with like offensive guard coach rankings. Dude, you don't know <laughs> anything about guard coach rankings. That's not a thing. So, but he was like, you know, the college football playoffs contract with the NCAA ends in 2025. You know, the, the Big 12, SEC, Big 10, they're just going to have a, a three-conference playoff. Well, I mean, bro, he's like, this is all so bad for college football. Well, I mean, like, in theory, yes, but when both these conferences are made up of, like, 60-plus teams, is it really that bad for college football? Is there really going to be a team outside of those conferences that are going to be playoff-worthy? You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know. I, they're going to expand at 12 anyways. I don't really care. So, yeah. um, you know, as long as the, as long as Texas Tech is in a power of three conference, I'm not going to really gonna give it. I'm not going to care. I'm not going to. I'm just it's not going to really bother me that much. So, um, yeah, I, I, that's crazy, though. We, I mean, we, we figured Clemson would at least join for sure. Them in Florida State. So yeah. when, what does Miami do? Like Miami, we're, they're hard crystal ball. Like they're a pastor story storied you know program so um virginia is interesting virginia is the one that like kind of confuses me there but i assume miami does the same thing and joins maybe they join the big the big 12 i might yeah wouldn't shock me actually i mean honestly i really wish i really wish the way they did it was you'd have three conferences maybe four with 16 teams in each you'd have a east and a west or a north and a south for the Big Ten, maybe, but you'd have, you know, you play each of the teams and then you kind of like categorize them based off what they were good at to an extent. But obviously, before anything else, they should do it geographically because the way it's looking like it's going to shape up when we have three conferences is horrendous in terms of geography and travel, like I said earlier. But that's what yeah. they should prioritize, I think. Well, I mean, the other thing is like, and maybe this is to the fault. And I think this is the fault of, and we're getting way off the rails here, but like slightly to the fault of the media, like sports media and like all this stuff. Like West Coast teams don't really get any love anymore. Outside of like Oregon and USC, what's well, this time a West Coast football team got a lot of love? You know what I mean? You yeah. got to be really, really good. And so um, obviously SC is a, they're a blue blood. I mean, they're going to get love. UCLA is a blue blood in basketball, baseball. So they're going to get love. But outside of that, it's like, you don't really see teams giving love to Utah or Colorado or the Arizona schools or, you know, Cal, like what, like what's Cal going to do? Like, where are they going to go? So I don't know. I, I think geographically it's hard because the West coast just doesn't have as many teams of quality, but at the same time, like I think it geographically would make more sense if they got lumped in with like the Texas schools and Oklahoma and th- that kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, like I was all for us joining the big 12 or the PAC 12 last year, us like, 
you know, TCU, Oklahoma State, Baylor jumping ship going to the Pac-12. That's what I wanted to do. Now, obviously, we flipped it, and I'm happy, but I don't know. It just travel-wise makes no sense for some yeah. of these teams to be going places. Obviously, like, the SEC stuff makes sense, and, like, if Miami joined – if Miami joined the Big Twelve, it would make plenty of sense. Like, like, you, like UCF's going to be—they're in Orlando and they're going to be in the in the Big Twelve. So, like, travel-wise, it, it really is not that bad. Like, you're still going to have to like the trip to from Miami to Dallas to play TCU is the same trip from Miami to Texas to go play UT. So, like, or to Austin to play Texas. So, like, like or like going to going from Miami to Norman to Miami to Lubbock. It's not that much different. So. I'd like to see us take Miami, actually, to be honest. I'd love to see that. Um, yeah, it's all getting crazy, man. It's the Wild West. Yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but I'm sure we'll have more info here in the coming, you know, couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, that dollar signs talk. Dollar signs talk. So, I mean, that's really it. Um, but, yeah, I think that probably wraps up the pod. We went a little long. Got off on a couple tangents on the ice bath today, but that's what it's there for it's at the end. So, if you don't want to listen to the ice bath, finish the episode it's all good um yeah kind of here just for us to bs a little bit talk about some stuff we like to talk about maybe get off the rails that's kind of what it's here for so um yeah kind of much kind of wraps up the episode pretty much um kind of tinkering with a couple ideas maybe like a throw in maybe like a an impromptu monday episode maybe in a couple weeks i don't know we'll talk about it um we'll figure it out trying to get a little more content to you guys um and I think Brett mentioned it last week. We're kind of get it get into a new, new content schedule as football season drops. That we'll kind of start talking about here pretty soon. Um, kind of release pretty soon. Um, but yeah, follow us on social: Cold Sleep Podcast, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, make sure wherever you're listening: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, whatever platform you want to use. Uh, make sure you follow. Leave us a five star rating, or if you believe we're like a four star rating, that's fine too. Just you know, don't dog on us in the kind of comments. That'd be that suck. But like, hey follow subscribe whatever it is i think spotify is a follow apple podcast is like a subscribe drop us a follow subscribe whatever it is uh leave us a leave us a rating let us know how you feel um i think that pretty much wraps it up today yeah i think that's it thank you all for tuning in we will have episode 20 for y'all next week july 14th uh should be fun we got the you know us the open kicking off final major of the year and some other news that we'll have that we'll have a standings update and i'm sure there'll be some developments within the the conferences and all that so be sure to tune in don't miss a beat and we will see y'all next week yeah see you guys later